0: word, Lord, I love you, and I thank you for each person that's here, and I thank you that you speak life into us, and you're going to do that this morning. Lord, I love you, and I beg your blessing right now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. By the way, we have some here uh, folks here for the first time, Um, and it's wonderful that you're here. Thank you. We practice what's called open communion, all right? We're not going to check your card at the table to see if it's been punched, you know. Um... The requirements for taking the Lord's Supper are really pretty simple. Uh, Number one, you need to be born again. Born again. And by the way, if you do a hard, hard look at the scripture, uh, the scriptures don't even say the mandate is baptism. Like you have to be baptized before you take the Lord's Supper. Now, theologically, we say that makes sense. Uh, But at Christ Church, because we're holding so hard, so fast to scripture. If you're born again, please join us at the table. Um, and this, by the way, this is something we do every every Sunday. So, all right, scripture. Let's talk about scripture. Uh, there's a lot of attitudes towards toward scripture. You may be a part of uh, uh, work colleagues and things that believe that there really is no difference between the Christian writings of the Old and New Testament or the Jewish writings, or there's no difference in the writing of the Hindus or writing of, uh, say, uh, Islam, the Muslims, and their, their book, the Quran. I understand. These are common, common issues and questions that that we Christians deal with on a regular basis. So um, what I want to do is show you some things about about evidence, internal, external evidence. This is Jim Choi, Yale University. Uh, he's on their faculty. These are some things Jim said, and I'm gonna run through just a couple of these, these things so that we can get right into scripture. Jim said that their independence accounts prove that in ancient times, even the opponents of Christianity never doubted the historicity of Jesus. Anti-Christian people in the first century never doubted Jesus, which was disputed for the first time and on inadequate grounds at the end of the 18th and 19th centuries. So this idea that Jesus didn't exist or Jesus was just a, a local guy with a chip on his shoulder, that didn't come until late, late, late. Make sense? Okay. The earliest biblical accounts of Jesus' life were written just within a few decades of the events that happened. In fact, you can even say historically they may have been written earlier than that. Now, you and I make a big, big deal about writing our ideas, right? We text, we have blogs, we, we, we read blogs, we get to websites, and it's all about words. In the New Testament, how did they retain information? How do you how do you maintain it and get it and keep it in your head? Morally, you me- you memorize it. Yeah, and so stuff was was in a sense written down by memory long before the uh, you know two decades out. There are thousands of surviving Greek manuscripts. In fact, well over five thousand. Uh, and the time span between the New Testament books' original composition and the oldest surviving copies really really short. So. Yes, sir. Uh, back to number one.
1: Yeah. This, did, the, did the debate come from like church or? You know,
0: so, yeah, thank you, thank you, Gabe. The first person that aggressively tried to attack Christianity is a guy named Kelsus. He was a humanist into paganism. Um, and Kelsus, in like the late second, uh, second century, said that a lot of the stuff was made up. In fact, he said the virgin birth was fictitious, that uh, Mary was actually got pregnant by a Roman soldier and all that kind of stuff. But that's late. That's late. Yeah, yeah. So just a couple more. Regarding manuscript discrepancies, problems with the ancient Greek text, Freddie, it's only because there's a spelling error. Because some scribe didn't have cool glasses like I wear, the trifocal thingy, and he was tired in and candlelight, and, and he, he probably looked at the wrong line, the wrong word, and just. It, no doctrine has ever been in question because of a, a typo in a manuscript. Uh, this is amazing. Um, a philosopher named Anthony Flew said the evidence for the resurrection is better and more substantiated than any claim in religion. The apostles had little incentive to lie. That's so true. And none of them recanted their story, even when they were being killed. One of Christianity's most committed enemies ever testified to the resurrection. Pop quiz. Who is that man? Paul. Absolutely, that's the Apostle Paul. Let's have a little fun, some more external evidence. Peter Stoner, in 1963, wrote a book called Um, about science, science speaks, and he was a distinguished scholar, professor emeritus of mathematics and astronomy at Pasadena College, okay? He ain't ain't no slouchy dude. What Stoner did, he tried to provide scientific, scientific mathematical probability and apply that to coincidence. In other words, what are the odds or what's the coincidence that Jesus would fulfill all prophecies in Scripture? And scholars debate it could be 300 to even 450 actual prophecies that are identifiable in the Old Testament, fulfilled in one man. This is what Stoner's data produced. Number one, the probability of eight prophecies coming true in one man is 10 to the 17th power. Okay. The probability of 48 prophecies coming true is 1 to the 157th power. Look at the number. Look at the zeros. I mean, this is absurd, right? Number of zeros. Um, Bible scholars estimate 300 to 450 prophecies, all fulfilled by the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I want to give you the silver dollar example. Has anybody heard this? Have you you heard this? Um, Okay. So this is what Stoner illustrated. If you get the magnitude of just 10 to the 17th power, he said, that's like taking, this is amazing, a silver dollar, I don't know how, what a silver dollar that big. If you took that number and reproduced silver dollars, you could cover the state of Texas two feet deep. And then put a blindfold on a man, only one silver dollar is marked. Put a blindfold on the man, get him out there in Texas, so you can go any direction you want. You can't go outside of Texas. You get one choice. Find that silver dollar that's marked. Yeah, yeah. No, okay, no. Uh, Stoner has his critics. Are you surprised? Of course not. Of course not. Let's say he's half wrong. <laughs> it's, only, it's only 12 inches deep in Texas. Let's say he's more wrong than that. It's only one inch deep in Texas. What are the odds? That a man with a blindfold is going to find the one silver dollar. All right, so I'm just telling you, there's been lots of people give some critical focus in to the Word of God. Okay, kids, you ready? I want you, this is going to be hard one today, I want you to try to draw a picture, okay, that gets at a couple of things. Number one, I want you to draw a compass. Do you guys know what a compass is? Adults, what's a compass? It identifies, because of the magnetic poles of the North Pole, South Pole, it identifies what is considered to be north, or true north, magnetic north. It varies because of the angle of the earth. But it lets you, it lets you know the direction, north. So I want you to try to draw a compass. And then the other thing I want you to try to draw is to draw something, draw something really, really big and then something really, really small. Really big and really small, and we'll learn about that just a little bit. All right. Let's dig into Scripture, the internal evidence, and I'm simply stating the work of the Holy Spirit that I believe is in and works through God's Word. Now, why would I say the Scripture is in and works through, uh, or the Holy Spirit is in and works through Scripture? What do you say? What do you recall when? Jesus is teaching in John's Gospel about the job description of the Holy Spirit. What does he do? What's that? He inspires, but specifically the scripture, what does he do? What's that mean? Leads us in all truth. Or you can also add to that, he reminds us of the words of Jesus. He takes from him and discloses to us, and it's Always truth. You need to just a real quick comment. He is the Holy Spirit, not the emotional spirit. Okay? Huge difference. I know we got some brothers and sisters out there, and you'd think it's the emotional spirit. It is not, it's the Holy Spirit. And you want to know a real marker, a real identifier of the person that believes they're led by the Spirit? They're holy. If you claim to be filled with, led by, empowered by, inspired by, all the cool stuff about the Spirit, great. I need to see holiness coming off your elbows. And if I don't, I really need you to put your lips together and hold them real tight because I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Holy Spirit, not emotional Spirit. Okay. All right, let's look at Scripture. We're, I mean, we're going to dig in, okay? We're going to dig in. Everybody turn to John chapter 1. The Gospel of John chapter 1. We are just going to walk through God's Word. If you're watching online, thank you. Please dig in with us. Read anyone. If you have a question online, let Stephen know, and he will uh, let me know that as well. And if you guys have a question, Raise your hand. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning. Boy, it sounds like Genesis, doesn't it? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of mankind and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not grasp it. You know, it's fascinating. Darkness cannot overpower light. It can't. Light always overpowers darkness. Jesus is the word and he's the light. Let's move on. This is going to be so good. Go to chapter six. We're still in John's gospel. Chapter six. All right. almost there John chapter 6 if you know anything about John 6 it's a really fascinating chapter because the text reports that as Jesus tells truth about his life and his message his attendance gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller In fact, by the time you get to the end of chapter 6 Jesus looks at his little youth group of 12 guys, 12 kids and says are you all going to leave me as well? That's not a good church growth formula, Brianna. It doesn't look good, you know. Deacons won't like those numbers. Oh man, the church is getting smaller, you know. Uh, People are leaving in droves because they can't stand the truth of what Jesus is saying. Look at verse 56. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. That's what's so offensive. And so people keep leaving the Jewish People who are inquiring leave. His actual disciples are leaving. He had hundreds. And then it gets down to the 12th. So verse 59, then these things he said in the synagogue, as he taught in Capernaum. He's not out by the campfire. He's in synagogue. So then many of his disciples, when they heard this, said to him, this statement is very unpleasant. Who can listen to it? In Aramaic Hebrew, it's hurting our ears. It's hard on the ears. We don't like what we're hearing. Jesus, aware of this, that his disciples were complaining about this, said to them, is this offensive to you? What then if you see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit. Who gives life, the flesh profits nothing, but provides no benefit. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and of life. I want you to hear me point blank. People who cannot speak the words of the spirit and and people who cannot speak the words of scripture are drying up and dying away. They're drying up. It's a miserable way to live. Now, they may take some narcotics, known as whatever their favorite food is, you know, materialism, but they are drying up and their relationships dry up. And we have got to learn to discover life that is only found in Jesus, in the spirit, and in the life that his words give us. But there are some of you who do not believe Jesus knew from the beginning who they were. He did not believe. And who it was who would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason, I've told you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him by the Father. All right, John 12. Man, we are walking through John. I love John 12. Uh, Cody, you remember the teaching on Christ's esteem. There's something so profound in John's gospel. John 12. This What we're trying to establish is intimacy with God through Scripture and why we need Scripture. Verse 49, 1249. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. And I know this, his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak I speak just as the Father has told me. Can you imagine having such intimacy with God the Father that when you open your mouth, it's only something God would say? Can you imagine that level of of faith and intimacy in a walk with God? That being the case, can we please let this sink in? When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're reading the heart of God as articulated through the mouth of Jesus. Poor Christ Church, pour over Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because there is life in those passages. All right, just a couple more. Um, I want you to turn to Romans 1. Romans 1. And this is tough. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter eight. verse 24 Paul is describing the moral downgrading moral the moral degeneration moral collapse moral perversion in in very very clear terms Paul describes it starting in verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up to vile impurity in the lusts of their hearts so that that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for falsehood and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Kids, remember when I talked about drawing a compass? There it is right there. When you see scripture as a compass, it's going to point you to the truth. And one of the worst things we can do morally to set us up for radical failure is to exchange truth for what is a lie. God says one plus one is two. Humanists say one plus one is three. I want to say something very cutting, very sharp. I'm going to use code. All right, so I'm talking to the adults right now. There's a particular subset in our society. They're having a massive political temper tantrum because they want children to come in and sit at their feet while they read books. Do you understand? Okay. They don't want to just read. They want to dance. Talk about exchanging truth for what is false. What's this. What's this. Why do they need to do that in front of a child? Hey, you want to put on that outfit behind your closed doors? Okay. (laughs) You know, an adult can do what they want behind closed doors, right? Why do you need a child? Why? Because you've exchanged truth for a lie, for what is false, what is perverse, and what will destroy a nation if that is tolerated. And by the way, some wise old dude said, when good men do nothing... Bruce, when they go bump, we go bump. Yeah, because if the Christian voice is silenced, who's going to call for true North, biblically? How do we articulate the truth? Okay. Do you understand? Without God's worth, it's a free for all. Do you understand? It's you believe what you want. If you think eating frozen yogurt makes you invisible, <laughs> okay, go right ahead. If you think frying an egg and hanging on your left ear and some fashionable fashionable earring, uh, hang a fried egg from your ear, and if you think that makes your IQ ten million, that hey, that's anything goes without God's word. That's why we want to deconstruct it. I'm just gonna give
1: you an amen on that. Okay. 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 I, I use an example a lot of a table, right? And any table. And the boundaries around that the edge of that table yeah. is the edge of it's the edge of God. It's the sure. edge of reason. Yes. Once you go outside of that, there is no bottom. There
0: is. Well, and that's Romans one. You go down, 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 down. And if you read chapter one. It's 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 amazing. All right. It's the gravity uh, into infinity. Yes. Yes. It's horrible. So you know what's you know what is heartbreaking? The number of churches who think they can do church without Scripture. How do you, how, do you, how does that even happen? That you can have a functioning church, call yourself a New Testament church, and scripture has no place in it? Oh, my God, talk about perversion. Yeah. So I want to show you something that's the opposite of Romans 1 and the opposite of exchanging truth for a lie. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 2. First Thessalonians actually is in the New Testament, in case you're wondering. Thank you. Uh, some of you are trying to find it. It's a little hard to find. Some of you have the tab Bibles. You can use the tab Bible if you're on your phone. It's easy. Yeah, First Thess chapter 2. Paul is bragging on the Thessalonian Christians. When he and the team moved in and did ministry there, it was great. Verse 13. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you've accepted it not as the word of men, But as what it really is, the word of God, which also is at work in you who believe. That is beautiful. You want to have faith? You want to experience life? Read scripture, not as the words of men. Read scripture as the word of God that gives life. Just a couple more. Hebrews 4. I know you guys know this one. Hebrews 4. The author of Hebrews describes scripture in this way. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must answer. Okay, real quick uh, comment about Greek. Uh, some of the Greek terms in this text. When you hear that the word of God is like a sword, what do you automatically think of? You know, some big, hairy-legged, muscled-up Roman soldier with a big, with a big sword. You know, like a claymore or something like that. Uh, that is actually not the case. The term that describes sword could possibly refer to. You ready for this? A surgeon's knife. A surgeon's knife. Okay. God doesn't want you to to read scripture and he's going, I'm going to lop those legs off. I'm not. God's going to cut you down. Old Johnny Cash song. No, no. God uses scripture like a surgeon's knife. And he knows how to separate bone from marrow. He knows how to separate the thoughts, the motives and the intentions of your heart. That's how skillful God's word is. It's that specific. And by the way, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you, you know, sometimes we, we have an aversion to reading scripture because we're trained our brains now are trained to thrive on fifteen to thirty second reels. I know it. Visual images, just cycling through reels, burning our frying our brains on this stuff. And I can talk about neuroanatomy and the benula the and pituitary gland and other glands, the basal ganglion things, maybe some other Sunday. But one of the reasons why I really struggle with scripture—it hurts. The surgeon's knife comes out. I had my ablation, and um, you know, it's a little embarrassing when you go to the hospital and take out that ro- that gown thing. It's like, oh man, this is already going down. Bruce, this is bad. So and they got me ready for the procedure, and they put in three, Jim, three separate catheters, you know, in the, the right hip. That's a lot to me, you know. And uh, uh, but it's biblical, it's trinity. Yeah. <laughs> I feel better. Thank you. I was struggling this whole time. It was biblical, the trinity. So, you know, major surgery is happening on me. Minor is on you. So I don't want to write your surgery. So they they go into my heart, they they find two spots, two hot spots where the circuits aren't working right, they zap them, and very, very technical. And my heart rate has dropped like 20 to 30 points. It's amazing what that procedure did. Um, I I hope to maybe get some health back and and get back into the gym and do some things. So they cut on me and I was, by the way, you know what my BP was? I'm on the table. And there's four nurses just going, going, and they're clipping and sticking everything everywhere. It's like, it's getting real, people. This is it. This is the procedure. And I'm, you might think I'm incredibly manly and tough. I'm basically a chicken, and, and I don't like needles. And so uh, they put the blood pressure cup on me, and I go, what's, what's my BP? And she goes, 177 over 123. I'm like, yeah. I've got white coat and and I don't know how she will. I think she was ten, she was really young, and she leaned over me and she goes, We put something in your IV. You'll calm down here in just a minute. I'm out. And so and I wake up and, and here I am telling the story. So I had anxiety. I don't want cutting on me, you know. Hey. We struggle with scripture because we know we're gonna get cut on, and it's a surgeon's knife. can I just say you can't run from God? Light always overcomes darkness. There's no creature hidden from his sight. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must give an answer. Let's do one more. 2 Peter 1. 2 Peter 1. It's in the New Testament. It's in the New oh, they've got real Bibles. <laughs> a little harder, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. All right. right. Uh, Second Peter chapter 1. And I want you to look at verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word made sure, more sure, more confident, to which you do well to pay attention. Wow. Pay attention to scripture. As to a lamp shining in a dark place, Until the day star dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture becomes a matter of someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy of Scripture was ever made by an act of human will. But men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. All right. We have... It's some major scriptures. I could go on for hours more. There's so many other scriptures. By the way, if you want if you want to have some fun, read Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Here's what the author did. He took the Hebrew alphabet, okay, and he started with the Hebrew letter Aleph. And he wrote eight verses that begin with the Hebrew letter Aleph. Eight verses. Then verse 9 starts with the Hebrew letter, Bet. Right? And then Gamel, and right down the line, and there's eight scriptures beginning with that letter, and the whole of the Psalm 119 is about God's word. It's fascinating. All right. You are the body of Christ. For those of you who are new, let me give you an introduction, an introduction why we view what you're about to observe. When you're born again... You become a follower of Jesus. The assumption is you're baptized because that's the model that the New Testament gives us. You're born again. Do you get the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. You absolutely get the Holy Spirit. And if you get the Holy Spirit, what does He give you? He gives gifts. What does He give you, Janice? Truth. Truth, but what are the gifts? Peace. Prophecy, certainly. Peace. Salvation. Salvation. Don't you say that? Yeah, anybody, anybody, David? Absolutely. But in terms of spiritual gifting, what's that? Hospitality. Now we're, now we're cooking. Prophecy, discerning, encouragement, mercy, etc. right? Okay. As far as I can discern, everybody in here is born again. All right. Now, if there's an unconverted person in the room, please come talk to me here just a little bit. So if you're born again and you have the Holy Spirit, you're spiritually gifted. The scriptures assume that you're going to use that gift in church. Okay? You've used that gift in church. All right, kids, we talked about big things, little things. God's Word is big. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is big, big, big. And we're little, bitty, tiny. We're just little And yet God has put his kingdom inside of us so that we will speak the truth in love. So I'm opening it up to you. Out of your spiritual gift, in honor of God's word, I want you to counsel this church. How do we live out a life that is submitted to the word of God, that honors God's word and makes does not let our culture define this book. We define our culture by this book. Okay. What does it take to become a true man of God from God's Scripture, or a woman of God from God based on God's Word, or a child to have the faith of a child? What does it take for that to happen? You're the church. Let me hear from you. What's that? It takes everything. Okay. Thank you, Michael. Christianity is expensive, isn't it? It's not a social thing. You've got to know Jesus. You've got to proclaim him. You've got to yeah. know all his glory. You've got to proclaim that. Yeah, what did he say about people who are ashamed of him and his words? Not recognize that. In front of the Father. And he will yes. Hell. Yeah. No the hell. yes. The hell. There are profound eternal consequences. Absolutely. Yes, Jenna.
1: I'm not, I'm not a good witness. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Thank you. I wouldn't
1: want
0: to yeah. talk more about my God. Yes, that's so good. That's good. Someone else. You have to be willing to do the hard things. Yeah. 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 There's.
1: I'm reminded of a story you told once about the missionary, and I forget where they were, but they had. He had people lined up saying, I want, to, I want to be a Christian. I want to be a Christian. He goes, what? Wait a minute. So yeah. you remember the story I talked about? That was me.
0: Okay. That was me, yeah. yeah. So I made him sit down like four times. Right on. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Go, like, go back and think about this. Yes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Someone else? Yeah, Janice. Um, it takes courage, I think, to be yeah. a Christian, especially in today's world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, we are being
1: pointed at and told that sure. we are the, what we are not. Yes. We are being yeah. accused of being something that we are not. Sure. Yeah.
0: And it's a hard place to be in society because you, it's almost like you're disallowed to speak the truth. Yeah, you yeah. Know, So yeah. It, it does take courage. And I think um, by being in God's word, I, and I have to kind of qualify that because the New Testament, they didn't have it in the early church. Mm-hmm. So they got together, they met with each other, they met with prayer, they read the letters that were being written by the, mm-hmm. prof, by the mm-hmm. apostles and stuff, but um, they didn't go, hey, go read. People, you, nobody had a whole collection of so, scripture. That we did, yeah. But we have that today, which yes. is amazing and good, yeah, but yeah. still getting together, together and yes. Yeah, that's so good, Janice. Yeah, followers of Jesus gather together for accountability. We're doing it right now. Do the hard things. things. Do the hard things. we need to be receptive to that that scalpel. Yeah. Yeah. And that's hard sometimes. Very hard. Yes. Yes. Yes, sir, Cody? Max.
1: where there's showboating and all that stuff and speaking in tongues and all this and that. You have those moments. I've had those moments where all of a sudden I'm talking with another believer. I'm talking with someone who doesn't believe. It. And the words come out of your mouth even like I would be speaking them like in my sub so mind. Like, where is this coming from? Like, they were my own physical words but they were not mine.
0: Even I'm being edified by it because I'm speaking to these other people, and they're yes. being edified by it. And I'm, saying, oh, I'm like, how is this? It's unexplainable. It's just yeah. yeah, It's if you experience it, you know
1: what I'm talking about. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That is so good, Cody. That is so good. All right, Joe. I got a lot of things swirling in my mind at this moment, so I hope that what comes out. It is a wonderful thing that we have what we have here. It's it a wonderful thing. In the wrong hands, it's the most powerful tool for evil that exists. If you come to scripture, you don't know who Jesus is, and you're not searching for Jesus or truth, you will find whatever it is you're looking for, and you will then be able to employ it however you want. Um, I grew up in a, in a movement that put a very significant focus on, on legality. Christian, i.e. Mean what you do, what you don't do, blah, blah, blah. And we loved the second half of Romans 1. Absolutely loved it, because it's a pogrom. They're bad, they're bad, they're bad. God gave them up. Got it, all. it just Everybody, you know, church across, people stood and cheered, they would have stood and cheered. Romans 1 is only there to set up Romans 2, okay? You don't take Romans 1 without going to Romans 2 where he says, if you who claim to be different, what excuse do you have? Because you do the same thing. Yeah. The first person I should be convicting when I go to Scripture is me. Yes. Yeah. And us. And when we've got our stuff worked out, then we start going into the world because we don't go out in the world with a hammer at that point. We go out in the world with the run of Christ. And that is what pulls people. Not what we think about sin Yes. cats. And, and I hate to say it, folks. A lot of the evil that we see in the world today is due to the fact that the church didn't do its job in the past 30 years. We have dug this hole. Now we've got to dig out of it somehow. There's horrible things going on with kids and other kids. If we try to go out there and use the same tactics, the world uses, and use the same tactics even that we've used in the past, we will fail. We have to know the Bible and the truth in the Bible. the truth is Jesus came out here to save everybody. And we're the lucky ones that happen to know.
0: Yes, that's so good, Joe. Everybody turn to to Matthew 7. Matthew 7. Joe, thank you. Yeah, Romans chapter two, verse four. Don't you know that it's the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance? Um, Ephesians four: speak the truth in love. That's verse fifteen, verse twenty-five. Speak the truth in love. Look at look at Matthew seven. Do not judge, so that you will not be judged. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take out the speck out of your eye and look, the log is in your own eye. We like to stop talking about context, Joe. We like to stop right there. You know, identify the speck, identify the log. But look, verse five, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to do what? Take the speck out of your brother's eye. Did Jesus say we should never look for specks in a brother's eye? No. No. We look for the speck. Just make sure the log's out first. Yeah. In other words, speak the truth in love. Right, which is critical. Joey, spoken well. All of sinning comes short of the glory of God. Yeah. Um, yes, Ed. To that point, respecting your eye sucks Yes. You don't want the speck in your eye. Yeah. Your brother doesn't want to respect his eye it's Yeah. Heard. Yeah. yeah. Help. Yeah. Um, here's a couple thoughts. I want. I want you. We'll, we'll wrap up with this, and I'll pray. If you're struggling with how to fit into culture, you need to read 1 Peter 3 and 4. It's written for that very purpose on how to deal with culture, all right? Now, uh, Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? Pardon? Come on, press your foot. By living, living according to his word. Your word have I hidden my heart that I may not sin against you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, you ready? Final word. Uh, Jenna, we've got to be open for the surgeon's knife, right? Of the Holy Spirit. Be careful when there's a knife in somebody else's hand, as Joe was alluding to. Because anybody who has a bent toward religion and has a need psychologically to manipulate another human being can use scripture and do a lot of damage. Welcome the surgeon's knife in the hand of the Holy Spirit, but be very careful and even prepare to reject the surgeon's knife in the hand of a person. That's not their job. We are not the convictor of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? All right. Thank you, Michael, because there's something inside of us that if we could just control our spouse, then we have a great marriage. Yeah. The two should become one. But which one? That's the hard part. Which one? I want it to be me. Which I want. So. All right, all right. Christ Church, you've done well. We've worked hard. You get into scripture, not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed. Abba Father, I I beg your blessing on us right now and that we would be a people unashamed of the gospel, unashamed of your word, drawing near to the throne of grace that we might find help in time of need to honor your word, to draw life from the words of your son and to not shy away from that. Abba Father, your son taught us Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Help us to be like Jesus and to draw near, to find our intimacy with you and to feed richly on your word. Lord, I love you and I thank you and I beg your blessings now. In Jesus' name, amen.